Welcome to the Faculty Podcast. This is Tommy Keene, Professor of New Testament here at RTS Washington. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be posting some special episodes in our Faculty Shorts series. Uh, For those who don't know or don't remember, these are bite-sized, one-topic interviews with scholars, professors, church leaders, uh, a bit more than an appetizer, but a bit less than a full meal and perfect for a quick mental boost, perhaps on your commute or uh, for your listening Pleasure. We had the opportunity to interview several colleagues and friends recently at the academic conferences in November. Wanted to share them with you alongside our regular programming. Hope you enjoy. As always, there's extra links in the show notes, including relevant books, links for leaving feedback and questions, and of course, one for donating to RTS Washington. I'm sitting at this table here with my uh, dear old friend, uh, Dr. Stephen Coleman. Our friendship goes way back. Uh, we share a similar seminary education together, uh, and he has so many accolades under his name, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get it all. So let me introduce uh, Dr. Coleman here. And I know you're a professor, uh, associate professor of Old Testament mm-hmm. at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more you're doing than te- just teaching Old Testament there. Yeah, I also serve in administration. And uh, to get you to serve in administration, they'll give you a title. So uh, I'm the privilege of serving as the Dean of Biblical and Theological Studies as well. And you're also now sitting on the endowed chair of Stephen Tong uh, mm-hmm. of Reformed Theology, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Recently, uh, I was given that honor of the uh, uh, Tong Chair of Reformed Theology, which is one of our uh, endowed chairs at Westminster. Praise God. I mean, yeah. it's so great to hear of uh, friends from way back who are now, the Lord has blessed to really establish a career and moving and progressing uh, in in your life, in academia, institutionally, in so many different ways. It's so great. To see, and it's great to catch up again after so many years. Yeah, ago. indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks and you. now one thing you mentioned in passing, which I'm very interested in, is um, you mentioned that in your uh, inaugural address in, uh, when you were seated in the Tong Chair of Reformed Theology that your lecture was on the Book of Job? Yeah, that's right. Uh, wh- uh, where Can Wisdom Be Found? Uh, it was its title and looking at Job in the context of redemptive history. Um, that's really fascinating only because uh, uh, you know, you don't necessarily think of Job yeah. in the context of, of, of redemptive history. There's, right. there's so little actual history in the book of Job. Right, and that's precisely why I wanted to to uh, speak on that topic, because I, I really do believe that when rightly understood, uh, Job, and all the wisdom literature, but Job does have a place within uh, redemptive history, and ultimately can only be read and interpreted properly with reference to that larger uh, redemptive historical context, which finds its culmination and fulfillment in Christ. Now, do you have a, now I also know um, uh, Stephen here also is a co-editor 
for a Old Testament commentary series that yep. is being produced uh, or being published through Crossway. Mm -hmm. And you are doing the joke commentary yes. of that. So, yeah. I, I, you know, this must be the air that you're uh, yeah. that you're breathing yeah. through right now. Yeah, it's, uh, that's going to be a very much a long-term project, but I'm, I'm getting going on uh, two-volume commentary on Job. And, uh, you know, and that in part is also driving my interest to situate the book uh, within the context of redemptive history. The wisdom literature, as you, as you know, is often the odd man out when it comes to uh, uh, redemptive history. How do Proverbs fit into redemptive history? How does Kohelet fit into redemptive history? And certainly Job as well. Uh, and some have suggested that the wisdom literature doesn't even belong in the Old Testament because it doesn't feature those elements that we commonly associate with progressive revelation of covenant and kingdom and kingship. You know, the, these aren't mentioned in, in Job. And so how do we how do we situate them in such a way where we see uh, his role and what God is revealing through him uh, in redemptive history about the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Right, um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, even Voss's uh, uh, biblical theology does very little yeah. with the wisdom literature, the book of Psalms. Uh, you know, we don't blame him for that. There's a reason why he had to focus on what he had to focus on. But do you, can you um, maybe just give us a small taste of what you're thinking here in terms of redemptive history and Job, because that um, that's such a uh, an important idea. There is a, uh, you know, there is a rich biblical theology behind Job that is oftentimes ignored because we're so fascinated just with the uh, with the suffering of Job mm -hmm. and not necessarily seeing that in a historical context. Um, we uh, something else perhaps is is people forget Job is wisdom literature, mm -hmm. um, and that's something else that's oftentimes missed. I don't know if you could share just a just yeah. a little bit, just to kind of whet our appetites to yeah, what to sure. know, to what to look forward to. In sure. Terms of I, one thing that is striking is uh, how Job is referred to uh, by God and by the narrator throughout as not just as Job or even, um, or I should say, he's referred to as uh, my servant Job. And many scholars have drawn a connection between Job's experience and the experience of the suffering servant in Isaiah's servant songs, most notably Isaiah 53, and how in Job's life and his experience, uh, he is, uh, embodies uh, the suffering servant. He exhibits that reality of the one who was faithful though suffered unjustly, uh, and yet uh, in his sufferings, he vindicates God, right? That's the con in the context of the book, God is going to vindicate himself in his heavenly court uh, through his suffering servant, the one who endured suffering faithfully. He didn't know why he was suffering, but he endured it faithfully, and in, in and through his, this experience, God is himself vindicated. Uh, Satan is overthrown, or his accusations, his uh, suggestions, uh, blasphemous suggestions about God and his integrity 
uh, Satan is defeated. And even Job becomes, um, he, 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 at the end of the book, takes on the role of the mediator for his three friends. That's right. When Yahweh says, you know, uh, that the friends spoke foolishly about God, and yet uh, Job was right in what he said. And uh, Job intercedes for them, mediates for them, and on the basis of Job's mediation, uh, the friends are forgiven. And then you have this somewhat, uh, this, it's a striking conclusion to the narrative, I think, and, and almost a, a conclusion that seems to upend the overall purpose of the narrative if it's not understood correctly, which is that Job has restored to him uh, double, if not right, more, right. of all that he lost. You know, is this a, you know, could be twisted into a sort of health and wealth gospel if you just endure suffering by faith, God will reward you. When in reality, what I think we have here is a picture of Job's glorification. Uh, that Job passes through suffering to glory. And this is a type, an, an earthly picture of what Christ will uh, receive Amen. on the basis of his faithfulness, his um, obedience of uh, suffering, uh, and then entering into his subsequent glories. Yeah, the, the, the Christocentric mm -hmm. element of Job is so clear and obvious sometimes mm -hmm. uh, and um, and it's and it's so beautiful and uh, and pastoral mm -hmm. to a certain degree how would you is that how you would deal with this well pastorally yeah yeah I mean jo Job is such a rich text it's uh, sort of irreducible to a singular message but uh, one of the many uh, pastoral uses of Job is to help those who are suffering and to remind us that, for example, Job never understood why he suffered what he suffered. He was never given visibility into that heavenly contest in the divine courtroom. And yet, uh, he was faithful. And through his encounter with God, he learned contentment in not knowing. And it was that experience yeah. of not being given the answers, but being given God himself and being reminded of God's sovereignty and God's infinite wisdom that enabled Job to be content with his finitude and uh, him, him not knowing all the answers. That, that's so fantastic. It preaches so well mm -hmm. because we live in a day where people will suffer mm -hmm. and they they feel like they need an explanation for it when they don't really. They need the Lord, right. and, and and it's great how you just right. kind of laid that out in in the Book of Job. That yeah. looked fantastic. Look forward to that commentary Thanks, there. And what other projects are you working on? Yeah, well, I um, am wrapping up a commentary on some of the minor prophets uh, for Crossway in a series called Preaching the Word. And uh, this has been a long project, and uh, I'm grateful that it's, it looks like it's coming to, to an end. Uh, just finishing uh, Zechariah at the moment. Uh, after that, I uh, am working on 
commentaries by uh, one of the early reformers, Johannes Echolampadius, wrote a commentary on Isaiah. And I'm working with a translator, editing this work, and uh, look forward to this coming out with Reformation Heritage books in the not-too-distant future. That yeah. sounds fantastic. Some yeah. really good projects and other things uh, in store for uh, for you that's really exciting to hear about in terms of what the Lord is doing. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Ah, praise God. And goes to show you that uh, two different institutions can still mutually work together <laughs> for the glory of God <laughs> and the increase of His kingdom. Amen. Praise God, indeed. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. doing groundbreaking work in Old Testament Neo-Calvinist theology. Old Testament and Neo-Calvinism. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my next book. Old Testament and Neo-Calvinism. Oh, oh. Neo-Calvinist like appropriations of Old Testament narrative. It's going to sell like hotcakes. It's be it would be, it would be very popular. Very I, popular. I wish I was joking about it. <laughs>